Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, hello, everybody. Happy Friday. We are here. We are live. Let's go there with Sharon Ryan. However, Sharon's not here. She is at South by Southwest doing some really incredible crypto crap. I can't even explain it because I don't know what the hell it is. But she's doing something there, and I'm really wishing her all the luck and love. But in the meantime, we have, of course, the one and only Shar Jocelle joining the show. As usual, it's Friday. Of course it's, you're going to be It's Friday, here. of course. Justin, what's this intro music? I felt like I was on a 90s sitcom. <laughs> oh, it's The Cure, Friday I'm in Love. All right. Yes. Shout out, shout out to Shira and her fresh press. Her flat iron in Texas. Yeah. I'm so used to seeing her as a curly head, and I know that she's versatile with her hair. This is my first time seeing Shira online ever, ever with straight hair. Oh, that's interesting. I'm used to her wash and go. Wow, that's actually interesting. I'm, well, maybe because I mean I've been working with her forever at this yeah. point, so I've seen all the different, uh, the different, uh, I guess you know iterations, yeah, iterations yes. of Shira. Um, but no, I'm so happy that you're here. We have a wonderful show lined up for everyone. Here is what's happening today. What are the odds now of getting COVID if you hadn't had it yet? Which is questions that need answers. We discuss with Dr. James um, later on in the show, and of course, the call us uh, police misconduct has been uncovered as well. And it also carries a billion-dollar price tag to communities. The Washington Post has the details next hour. But uh, first, we're talking about how social media is helping to hold Russia accountable for all their crimes. Mm. We uh, we had an earlier conversation this week about you know misinformation and disinformation that mm-hmm. could, you, you could find, right? Yeah. But I think we're talking here about how social media is really going to help. And yeah. so that's going to be coming up in the next 10 minutes. So get stick around for that. Um, are you ready to get into the headlines, huh? I am. But as you were talking about COVID, do you realize that two years ago today, we went to our last Can party? Can you stop, Miss Calendar? <laughs> I, I sometimes wish I could like press a button on a remote <laughs> to like shut Char's brain down from remembering no, everything. No, Ryan, w- listen, we were having a time two yeah, years ago. I know, two years ago. It was yeah. such a moment. It was such a moment. But, but let's, let's get started. Let's get into those top of the hour headlines. So Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton sued the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on Wednesday after actions taken by the federal government uh, to ensure access to gender affirming uh, care for Texas youth. Now, this new guidance states that it may violate federal law for doctors, uh, medical providers, and other medical staff to report sex change procedures and the administration of puberty blockers to minors as, quote, child abuse. But Paxton called that a misinterpretation of the law and said he believes state law says such procedures can, in fact, 
constitute child abuse. Uh, his lawsuit also takes issue with guidance issued in June of last year by Charlotte Burroughs of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission about workplace discrimination. Burroughs said requiring a transgender employee to dress in accordance with the employee's sex assigned at birth would constitute sex discrimination. Burroughs also said the use of pronouns inconsistent with an individual's gender identity could be considered harassment. So let me get this straight. This has now snowballed to from an attack on trans children to now an attack on trans adults. Even more. I mean, it seems at this point, if you're trans, you're getting attacked. Well, yeah, no I mean, matter across you know, I always say trans people are constantly in the middle of this culture war that we didn't ask for. Yeah, and it's really, it's really, really sad. Uh, in a release, Paxton called the administration's position a misinterpretation, misapplication, and misstatement of statutory and case law and said in the June or, uh, guidance had attacked employers. Let's move on. President Biden announces the U.S. and NATO allies will remove most favored nation status from Russia. Your White House has said that that Russia may use chemical weapons or create a false flag operation to use them. What evidence have you seen showing that? And would the U.S. have a military response if Putin does launch a chemical weapons attack? I'm not going to speak about the intelligence, but you, but uh, Russia would pay a severe price if they use chemical weapons. Okay, so um, that's it for top of the hour right now. But uh, coming up next hour, stick around for this because Disney, the Disney CEO Bob Chapek basically apologized in a statement to his LGBTQ employees. We're going to mm. have that next hour, top of the hour. But what's in the T-Report? I'm side-eyeing all of it. Oh, of well, course. in the T-Report for this hour, Grimes is dating infamous leaker Chelsea Manning. Can you believe this? And if you remember... I don't even know what that means. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Grimes is the ex of Elon Musk. Now, a lot of people were... A lot of people were speculating because, you know, Grimes and Elon said that their relationship was quote-unquote fluid. Yeah, and we and we uh, talked a little... Obviously, the, their secret baby uh, yes. yesterday. We talked about it yesterday. So. And what's, what's the baby's name? It's like the pie chart. Yeah, it's, it's A y. equals MC squared. Yeah, you know, I said the, the first baby's X and the second baby's Y. Wait, there's two? Yeah. Yeah. Oh this my was gosh. a second secret baby. You know, I surrogacy. forgot. I forgot Cardi B had a son, had two children until <laughs> recently. I thought it was just culture. Nevertheless, of Elon Musk. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, it's being reported. This is exclusively via page six that these two are dating. I don't know what to make of it. I can't even say that I fully care. Uh, but it's 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 interesting. You know that uh, Chelsea Manning is a trans woman. Yeah, and so that was another that was another interesting uh, moment, which is great. I'm um, that's that's exciting. But Chelsea. Chelsea Manning, it's just so weird. What room were they both in together where this happened? I don't know. They say that Manning still has her apartment in Brooklyn. We don't know their living situation. You see, yeah. I'm all up in their business. But it should be noted <laughs> that uh, Manning has liked multiple tr tweets that have to do with Grimes, including the announcement of the singer's Vanity Fair cover story. Mm -hmm. And in December, Grimes tweeted out, you know, how suffocating celebrity culture is yeah. to her. So wow. we'll, I guess we'll just wait and see how this this unfolds. Do you care? Nope. All not right. Well, that's not. the tea report for this hour. Someone out there cares. Yeah, and of course, stick around for next hour as well. We're um, get, getting your chance to win Lady Gaga tickets uh, to the Chromatica Ball. But coming up right now, let's stay focused. The party's getting started. How social media is helping to hold Russia accountable for crimes in the digital age. More coming up with the Washington Post. Don't go anywhere. 
In the age of social media, there's no doubt that there are pros and cons to the information we see about the world. However, your tweets could be turned into viable evidence of a war crime, especially if you are in the Ukraine right now yeah. and everything happening. How, you may ask? Well, we have Philip Bump, national correspondent and How to Read This Chart newsletter author from the Washington Post. Thank you so much for joining the show. Of course. Okay, so this is really interesting because I don't think we've really seen social media play such a huge uh, part in kind of like narrating what we're seeing in in the possibility of it being turned into evidence. Can you can you talk about that connection? Sure. So there's this group called Bellingcat, which emerged in 2014, uh, a guy named Elliot Higgins, who's done a lot of work in trying to use social media and public posts to try and be able to document uh, conflict zones, and, and in particular in Ukraine now, uh, documenting the use of illegal munitions. Uh, I think the best analogy here is to think about it as sort of a parallel to the Black Lives Matter movement. So we had this advent of people having phones in their pockets, capturing video, uh, police shootings, and, and you know incidents of abuses of power. And because of social media, because people were able to say that this is what was happening and see it happening, there was able to be some accountability that didn't exist before. And so now we see something similar happening uh, when we look at uh, war zones. Uh, and so people are documenting in Ukraine, they're documenting the, the munitions falling, they're documenting these attacks, sharing it on social media, and then that then can be used to actually uh, potentially uh, be part of a war crimes trial. Yeah, as you were speaking, I got to thinking, you know how they sometimes take our tweets and include them in articles? Is that what would be like eventually in the history books? Like your your handle? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely possible. I mean, there is a one of the things that's sort of fascinating and one of the things that this group Bellingcat and the, its partners have done is to try and, you know, obviously you can't just take a tweet and, you know, drop it in the lap of a jury and say, hey, look at this. You have to establish that it was, you know, that it right. shows what it says it showed and it was taken when it says it was taken. So one of the things they do is they spend a lot of time doing something called geolocation, which is figuring out where something uh, occurred, you know, the exact intersection, for example, where a, a you know, a munition exploded in Ukraine, uh, and then storing it, storing it in a database, and using these tools to and be able to confirm and establish a chain, uh, essentially the same thing as a chain of evidence in a criminal trial, to be able to say, yes, we know where this was taken, who, who took this video, when it actually was taken, and then that, that then becomes real solid evidence that you can use in the courtroom. Wow. Well, we're chatting with Philip Bum from the Washington Post. I think, well, there's so many so many conversations around like misinformation and disinformation and that happened mm-hmm. with social media, obviously, just, you know, it goes hand in hand. How does this play into it to making sure that everything's on the up and up, especially if there's propaganda that, you know, people are worried and about? Deep yeah, and deep or whatever you know, they're called. There's so much sure. that I feel like I've seen online where people are like, oh, wait, that actually was like 10 and years to, ago. Not to mention, you know, the Russians, how they invaded, you know, got involved in our election cycle. Yeah. Like, you know, how There's we... worries there. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, one of the things that this is also good for is exactly that sort of establishing that this is these things are legitimate. So, you know, when you have a new photo that emerges, a new video that emerges, there exist tools that you can use to actually compare, uh, you know, to, to see if that exists somewhere else on the Internet. Because obviously if there is a new video of a munition strike, uh, but it was also on the Internet in 2016. It's not new. right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Bellingcat has actually the, the gained international attention. You may remember in 2014, there was a Malaysian Airlines flight that was shot down over Ukraine by, mm-hmm. uh, it turned out, by uh, Russian anti-aircraft uh, missile. Uh, and so what Bellingcat was able to do is they were able to use really sophisticated techniques to, sh- to spot this missile, the, the truck carrying this uh, surface air missile, 
through uh, the, this contested part of Ukraine, and they're able to do things like check that the sun would have been in the proper place to cast a shadow wow. in the photo of this, of this missile that truck. intense? So they do wow. really sophisticated stuff to make sure that it's all legitimate. Wow, how long have they been doing that? Well, this type of Well, they really, Bellingcat started in 2014, but it right. really is the emergence of all these different tools, satellite wow. images so, and all these various things that we didn't have before. So how will this help, in your opinion, I don't know if you want to give your opinion, but how, sure. how will this help sway, I guess, or influence media literacy amongst the general public? Because it seems like we need a Bellingcat in every area, <laughs> aside from what's going on with the war. Yeah, no, no, it's a great point. I mean, I think that... Bellingcat does a lot of tutorials. If you're interested in this, you can actually sign up and they'll teach you how to do geolocation stuff. They'll teach you how to do, you know, to, to check uh, to see if images already exist online. I mean, it takes a lot of time, you know, and so they, the fact that this is being applied to possible war crimes, you know, it's obviously something that's very important. So they're spending a lot of time doing it. But there really is. You can look at the tools they use, the techniques they use get trained by them and have a better sense yourself to be able to be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to drop this in Google image search and just see before I start sharing this with everyone if this is something that's been around for a long time. They're very mm. simple tools you can use yeah. and they provide a good roadmap. Well, Philip Bum, thank you so much for joining us to break all this down. If you all want to check out more of Philip Bump's uh, incredible work, head over to the Washington Post and also uh, subscribe to the How to Read This Chart newsletter at the Washington Post. Thank you so much for being here. You bet. Thanks. Okay, so coming up next, could the way you pronounce Ukraine or Kiev actually be promoting Russian propaganda? What? Yeah, this is a wild story coming up next. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are so let instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Next. Now, could the way you pronounce Ukraine or Kiev promote Russian propaganda? Honestly, what does that even mean? Well, we have someone, an expert joining us, Catherine Graber, the Associate Professor of Anthropology and Central Eurasian Studies at Indiana University. Oh, my God, I was born in Evansville. Hey, girl. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. <laughs> I, I mean, that was like a little bit of a moment like, hey, but I promise you we're serious. Um, <laughs> no, but going into this conversation. It's so interesting because I don't even think uh, us here as we're watching this play out even understand the way that language plays into um, the way that, you know, we could be really promoting Russian propaganda. What do we mean by that? Break that down for us. Oh, yeah. So this is it's a very, very tricky question, right? We talk all the time. We speak in ways that we've inherited from hearing the way that our parents spoke and the way that other um, commentators have spoken around us. And so without thinking about it, we pick up a lot of their, um, their habits. Of course, all of our habits, all of our linguistic habits come from somewhere else. So unfortunately, um, it, some of this is Russian propaganda. Some, some of it I would call just inheritance over time and maybe us not catching up or keeping up with changing language. But unfortunately, you know, we don't, we don't control the way that other people interpret our language. So the best we can do is be aware of, of what we're incorporating and what kinds of political positions are encoded in the language that we use. Yeah, as as I'm reading this more about this article and learning more about this, how does a simple the in front of Ukraine, how, how in what ways is, is that harmful? Because I'm thinking to myself, I have seen viable journalists, pundits and correspondents say the Ukraine, but we don't say the Sweden, we don't say the Germany. We do say the United States, though. Yeah. So, like, how, what's, why is the before Ukraine such a big deal? Yeah. So there's a, there's a really broad way of answering that question and then a narrower one, too, I think. And, you know, the broad, the broad way of addressing, addressing that is just to say that words matter in the first place, you know, that, and again, in ways that we don't have control over. So um, we have that ex- this expression in English, you know, that we tell our kids all the time. I have a six-year-old, so I'm really, I'm really aware of this. I, we say like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Um, so we That's really separate lot. out. I know, right? <laughs> we, we know that words matter. We, but we really, what are we doing when we say that? We just want to make our kids and we want to make other people think, feel like, like words don't matter when in fact we know that they do and they have material consequences like in this case uh, for example um so the narrower though the more specific way of answering that question is to think really carefully about the ways that different languages subtly encode distinctions between territories that are politically delimited and territories that are not Mm. so Russian and Ukrainian and other Slavic languages do that with prepositions, like those little words that we put before nouns, like to and from and in and on. Um, so they make the distinction with in Russian between um, v and na. And one 
basically means in and one basically means on, but you can also use the two, the and na, to make these subtle distinctions between territories that are politically delimited and territories that are not. Wow. And in English, we don't do that so much with prepositions. We use in all the time, mm-hmm. like overuse, <laughs> overuse the word in. So instead, we use the word the to make that distinction. Oh, my so gosh. The, this is really the example interesting. That I, yeah, I mean, so the example that I'm thinking of while I'm standing here in Indiana, <laughs> I'm talking to you from Indiana. So I'm I'm in Indiana. I'm not in the Indiana. I'm um, <laughs> I might go to Ohio, or I'm going to go soon to Florida. And when I'm in Florida, I'll be in Florida. I won't mm-hmm. be in the Florida. So which is, we, yeah, which is funny because you know, sometimes I'll joke and say the Buzzfeed. Well, yeah, because I think there's like there's some like you know cultural <laughs> moments there, and we're actually speaking with uh, Catherine Graber uh, from Indiana University, and I, I really want to talk about, especially because obviously what's at stake here. But we had a really interesting conversation earlier this week about how um, you know a lot of the media coverage over Ukraine, and a lot of the times when we're seeing internationally how race kind of plays into this, and I mm. wonder there's such a a critical connection between language and race and how we discuss those things. Linguistically, how should we be looking at that, especially when it comes to media coverage um, and making sure that we're not, uh, you know, making more of an issue Mm -hmm. versus actually helping the issue? That's a really that's a really interesting point. You know, something that happens in the in the Russia, Ukraine um, war and what's what's something that's happening in coverage over Russia, Ukraine. And this is not new. This has been happening for a really long time, is that in the absence of there being a really obvious racial difference, we sort of we and Ukrainians and Russians too, especially Russians, really double down on this, um, on language as the, the main delimiter and like demarcator of mm-hmm. Russians versus Ukrainians. And I think one thing we have to be careful of in that is that we have a tendency, media, I think scholars have a tendency to do this sometimes too, that we overemphasize the distinction between between Russian and Ukrainian and sort of over-ethnicize them. Like we imagine Russians as being exclusively Russian-speaking and Ukrainians as being exclusively Ukrainian-speaking, whereas in fact, like, a lot of Ukrainians are dominantly Russian-speaking or speak both Russian and Ukrainian. And a lot of Russians, by the same token, know Ukrainian. So I think we have to be really careful to not, you know, over-ethnicize um, it, and even maybe a little bit racialized, the, oh, the yeah. difference between Russian and Ukrainian. Oh, my God. That is fascinating. <laughs> this was such a great conversation. At first, we were like, how the hell are we going to have this conversation? But you really <laughs> came on and educated and it, us. And I'm about also to sign makes, up for a class. It also makes me think of our country, how we're just English for the most yeah. part. Like the fact that like yeah. there's not over half the uh, of our population in the United States that can speak exclusively like Spanish and exclusively yeah. like English. Like Everything's we're just a, a big melting pot if we think about Salad it. Salad bowl. Shout yeah. out to Jane Elliott. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. We could really keep talking to you forever. But Kathy Graver is an associate pre- uh, professor at, of anthro- anthropology in Central Eurasian Studies at Indiana University. Honestly, am I moving to Indiana to take her class? Maybe. <laughs> Do it virtually, over. child. Do it virtually. <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, coming up next, y'all, there is now a black market for everyday Western items happening in Moscow. And you won't believe the cost of a Big Mac. Yep, that is coming up. Don't go anywhere. 
Now, the last thing we are all thinking about is the black market happening in Russia because of this war. Well, uh, this week, obviously, McDonald's uh, temporarily closed all 850 locations in Russia in uh, a very hugely symbolic triggered by the country's decision to evade uh, Ukraine. Well, in response to that closure, one Russian has apparently filled his fridge with McDonald's <laughs> and others are selling Big Mac meals for up to 250. Is it pounds? What? It was, it's pounds. Um, one Reddit, I didn't know they would buy pounds girl, as well. If I'm being honest, how much is that in, in real money? And Well, not real money. US in USD. Money. Yeah. <laughs> in I don't know. I don't have a converter in front of me. But what I will say about this is... How does McDonald's monitor? So let's say they shut, let's say they decide to shut down all the McDonald's in Southern California. Uh-huh. How do you monitor? If I'm a manager, who's to say I can't go in there and unlock and, and do some stuff? Who's to say I, of course, that would be the first thing I'm doing. I also, you know what we should have. selling it. You know what we should have looked up prior to doing this story? What? Because you know how McDonald's is different in every country. I wonder what's on the what Russian menu. Because oh, the fact that they're eating one. McDonald's, I mean, the fact that they're eating Big Macs is surprising to me because I, I associate Big Macs yeah. with American because we are Well, here's the thing. On a Reddit forum, a photographer was shared, uh, basically shared that showed one person's fridge was filled to the brim with McDonald's burgers, leaving little room for any other groceries. Now, the way that McDonald's mystery meat is set up, that stuff's going to last through like roaches. It's going to be there for like 17, 15 years. Have you ever seen Supersize Me? I've never seen that because I know as soon as I do, it's going to make me become a vegetarian and I'm just not willing to give it vegans or vegetarians that one point. What I will say is I just converted it and 250 pounds to USD is roughly $325.90. Wow! Cha-ching! My God. I mean, would you be willing... Here's the thing. You know, I I can't ever say in dire moments, like, you know, knock on wood, pray to God, manifest that obviously we don't get into any... We've never been in a war-torn country. But I could only imagine if I'm sitting in a bunker and all I got is ravioli and and baked beans and uh, lentils that I would have a craving for a few McDonald's, you know, Big Macs with some secret sauce, a four-piece chicken nuggets with a, maybe a large fry and a nice large or yeah, nice I, orange. I, I would imagine that I wouldn't care about much if I was in a bunker. Yeah. And I, I need that. You know, we associate food. You and I have talked about this with comfort a lot of oh, times. Oh, for sure. So if my only options is eating cold lentils out of a can yeah. with a fork versus uh, the mystery meat of a Big Mac with some shredded lettuce, cheese, Pickles yeah. on a sesame seed bun with the special sauce. Yeah. I, I might shell out that three. You you gonna do your Apple Pay well, for that, the three twenty five. I mean, honestly, I'll cash app right now. <laughs> <laughs> we have more great music coming up here on Channel Q, so stick around for that. And of course, the show must go on where Sheer Lazar is out, but Sharjah Cell is here, of course. Oh yes, TGIF. You know, it's us two on a Friday, you know, have it, chaos. It's my favorite. Yeah, and in the name of Shira, Fry Yay. Oh, Are we happy now? How? <laughs> okay, so now moving forward, I'm doing this show by myself. <laughs> Never. <laughs> well, let's talk about what's coming up this hour. The cost of police misconduct has been uncovered as well, and it also carries a billion-dollar price tag to communities. The Washington Post has the details in about 30 minutes. So, yeah, we got a lot to get into, of course. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the headlines. Are we ready? Yep. So, after weeks of internal strife and an external controversy surrounding the Walt Disney Company's lack of public response to the Don't Say Gay legislation in Florida, CEO Bob Chapek, yeah, 
Yep. Okay, great. Oh my God, look at me. <laughs> uh, announced in a company email on Friday that Disney will pause all political donations in the state during a restructuring of its political giving framework. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> It's a whole bunch of fancy words put together. Word salad. So Bob also apologized directly to the company's LGBTQ employees for his widely criticized messaging on the issue. He said this, It is clear that this is not just an issue about a bill in Florida, but instead yet another challenge to basic human rights. You think? You needed me to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights, and I let you down. I am sorry. Wow. Dare I say I'm kind of impressed by that statement? Um, I'm not because my thing is he was willing to take the, um, he was willing to take the, like, I guess the, he was willing to give DeSantis grace and trust his word over your actual queer employees. Yeah. And the, the what everyone has been saying all over the news about how yeah. this is harmful to basic human rights. And so the fact that you're just now getting it, I'm happy you're there. I'm happy, yes. I'm happy I'm you're happy, there. I'm happy you arrived. But I'm also pissed that you were willing to give someone who is literally attacking kids and attacking livelihoods of queer people, you were willing to give him the grace and space because he said, oh, I promise this won't be weaponized. Mm -hmm. It's being weaponized right now. And people literally don't. I'm glad that you brought up the human rights issue because people are not looking at this as a human rights issue and it fundamentally is. But that also contributes to people not looking at LGBT people as human. Yeah, so let's move on to another story that um, it happened yesterday, but after an emotional day of testimony on both sides, actor Jesse Smollett has been sentenced to 150 days in mm. jail in connection to a staged hate crime that occurred in Chicago in January 2019. Mm. Uh, Smollett will begin his sentence immediately. He was also ordered to pay more than 120000 in restitution to the city of Chicago and was fined $25,000. Um, of course, he was also sentenced to 30 months of uh, felony pro, uh, probation. Once he's released, Once right? he's released. And so here is the chilling clip of when Jesse found out his sentencing. I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. I am innocent and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this. And I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself. And you must all know that. Yeah, I just can't, I can't help but um, but get chills when I hear that. I must say that as a Chicagoan, I'm very nervous for him because anyone from sh- from the shy knows you don't play around with Cook County Prison on 26 in California. Wow. That's the intersection, okay? And that's one of the grittiest, most terrible places. I mean, it's comparable to Rikers, if I'm being honest. Oh, wow. It, it's, 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 it can be pretty pretty gully well, in luck- the county prison. Luckily, he is now in protective custody at Cook County Jail, um, according well, jail, to the, to the uh, sheriff's office. Um, but he has filed an appeal after spending his first night behind bars after a judge sentenced him. Um, and so I'm... here's a little bit of the written statement. Mr. Smella is not being held in solitary confinement, the sheriff's office wrote. The use of solitary confinement was abolished at the Cook County Jail in 2016. And any claims that he is being held in this manner is false. Mr. Smella is being housed in his own cell, which is monitored by security cameras in the cell and by an officer wearing a body-worn camera who is stationed at the entrance of the 
uh, of the cell to ensure that Smollett is under direct observation at all times. Well, the camera better not dis uh, malfunction. And you know what? I have to shout out Van Lathan, formerly of TMZ, because he's been comparing this case. Listen, folks, you can think what you want about Jesse, but there are people who stormed the Capitol yeah. in an insurrection that just got 75 days in jail. And what happened to all these Karens making false reports? Yeah, there's so much to conversation there. Um, but we let's go ahead and dive into, because that's your headlines. Let's go ahead and dive into a little bit quickly the T-Report, and then I'm going to let you know how you can win your way into the Lady Gaga's Chromatica Ball. So I thought that this was so bizarre. Shows, talk shows come and go. We know, Ryan, that the name of the game in Hollywood and in this business is so fleeting. You can be on air one day and off the next. I know. Ryan, I know that's right. I said Ryan. Nick Cannon's show got canceled. Now don't you manifest Ryan. Oh, no, no, no. Never. Let me knock on that way Never. Wood. I was talking about Seacrest, boo. Seacrest. <laughs> um, yeah, so what I find interesting, according to B. Scott, this is a B. Scott exclusive. The staff of the show, which was a lot of Wendy staffers, former staffers, uh -huh, uh -huh. they found out when we found out. They found out online and they're not even finishing. Oh, that sucks. It is. And they're not even finishing the season. It's like, oh, you find out on Thursday night and Friday's the last day well, of work. Well, they were saying that people were already kind of feeling it because it wasn't doing that well. Well, because Nick Cannon is best served. I think if he had a late night show, if he was on E! where Chelsea Handler used to be, yeah. he might thrive because he thrives in that wild and out space. But who's watching a daytime show by Nick Cannon? No, he had sneakers in the background. And I should mention that Detmar Mercury invested so much into him because remember he was teed up to be yeah, Wendy's replacement. Wendy, yeah. But I guess they cut their losses. They looked at those ratings and they're gearing all their money is going towards Sherry Shepard. I should also mention that the reel is on its way out too. Yes, so yes, I wonder we if saw that be, news. I wonder if that'll be uh, Jennifer Hudson's spot. But that's the T report for this hour. All right, so quickly, Gaga Channel Q has your tickets into Lady Gaga's Chromatica Ball. It's happening here at the LA's Dodger Stadium, September 10th. One of her only 15 stadium shows this summer. And guess what? It's her final stop. Tickets go on sale, of course, at Ticketmaster. But why wait when we got your chance to win your way in? Channel Q is giving away five pairs, and one of them is yours, darling. Head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win. You will not want to miss it. Let's keep this party going, of course. Now, coming up next, uh, Shar, it's literally your segment, and I'm super excited to talk about it because I know you've been, you know, dealing with it this week, and I think it's oh, beautiful yes. that we can we can have this discussion. What's coming up? Well, we're going to be talking about statistics with online trolls with a gender breakdown, age breakdown, and also a tipping point when it comes to being when it comes to being abstinent from alcohol. Ooh, well, let's get into it. Coming up, hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Next. Welcome back, welcome back, and now it's time for Char Says So. 
oh my god, is this the midnight storm? Oh, this was beautiful. Yes. It's sexy. I feel like I should take my clothes off. I was kind of feeling it just now. <laughs> I was kind of feeling it. Well, I mean, I don't think the topic requires me to take my clothes no, off. No, but... no, 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 no. Because we're going to be talking about trolls. Now, I, kept, I stumbled across this article by a guest writer for the Huff Post named Kira Evans. Okay. And what happened is at the beginning of the year, she kind of started with dry January, right? Which so most she, people do. A lot of people do. But she received a lot of backlash. And she noticed that within her TikTok video where she revealed this, a lot of it was coming from men, like, and her following is mostly women. So it's like, how do these people find you? Uh, well, that's TikTok algorithm. For what you. I find so interesting when it comes to trolling, because I know, Ryan, we're both very public people. Yeah. We, we work a lot together, but also yes. a lot separately. And we, we get paid to dish our opinion. We're opinion hosts yeah. and also journalists. And with that, sometimes the haters come. I think someone in Palm Springs oh wrote God. a whole article <laughs> about you. <laughs> I was wondering if Char was going to bring that oh, up. I'll never forget that. Yeah, they tell me that I need to keep my mouth shut. Not shut up and dribble. That's what they said. Shout out to Laura Ingram over on the Fox I they're News. Listening. I hope they're still a listener. <laughs> Nevertheless, studies have found, I thought this was interesting, studies have found that internet trolls are in fact disproportionately male yeah. and that women receive a greater amount of attention from trolls than men. Mm. Trans individuals experience more digital abuse than cis people. Mm-hmm. Women of color are 34% more likely to receive online abuse than white women, especially black and Asian women. Okay. And when women receive online harassment, comments are more likely to extend into their sexuality and appearance. Now, the yeah. reason why I looped this all in is because recently it has nothing to do with Lent or anything. I guess I could factor this in with Lent, but I quit drinking. I'm okay. done. I'm done for the foreseeable wow. future. That's incredible. So uh, it's it's a personal choice. And mm. I think that for me, I want to explore kind of sitting in my feelings, which I think is going to be challenging for me because so many of us do depend on substances to escape sometimes the harsh realities of the world. Yeah. And so it's like, OK, what do I do now to take the edge off? It's like I'm 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 tasking myself to to try something new. I don't know what that looks like as of yet. Yeah. But um, I'm very, very nervous. I'm not an alcoholic, but, you know, I'm a social drinker. Well, yeah, of course. And I I think when... I love a martini now. It's so interesting when we're having this conversation about it. And like when you brought up, you know, what one listener wrote and and normally because of how I know social media is and and my career has kind of been in like either social media management behind the scenes in front of the camera. Yeah. I never really allowed trolls to bother me. But I think in relation to that moment in time that happened where someone, you know, wrote that it was it was actually something that actually did really bother me. Like that was the first time where I came in contact with like a like a troll or a hater where I was like, wow, do I need to change myself? Like, do I need to, you know, talk about the things that I'm talking about differently? And it was something that really bothered me and made me very insecure at that time. And um, I really had to, like, you know, work through that. And and a lot of times, even if you're using, like, substances, like, I'm not a social drinker. Like, I'm a, I'm a social drinker, but I'm not a drinker. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I dabble in, you know, the other things in California. You go to the moon with Bezos. In the California. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think for me, I've even had to, in therapy, what I'm currently working through is like, why I'm I'm doing it is it is it what I told is it really what I told myself which is like oh it's a it's a it's a it's a way to relax mm-hmm. or is it really because there's a lot of things that I'm I may be suppressing and running that are from. coming up and a lot of that has actually recently come up in, a, in my therapy session where it started me to go like 
not every two weeks, but maybe like once a week now. Yeah, that, that's also <laughs> what I'm fearful of. You as one of my friends and colleagues, you know I am an overthinker. Yeah. So how then do I shut? But it'll be interesting to see because I don't know if alcohol is shutting off my thoughts or fueling them. What mm, I should mention is that uh, Kira says as the video count rose, uh, it, things went from positive to, to criticism. People were leaving comments, men, you're unhappy, you'll be drunk by Tuesday, all wrong. If it wasn't a problem, why did you quit? And and, and it just goes on and on and on. I just think it's so interesting. Well, you had something recently go viral of like when you kind of let the world know that you were doing this really incredible interview that's coming out soon and everyone and their mama had something to say, yeah. whether it was congratulations or not. How did you handle all of that? I mean, that was huge. Well, again, tip my hat to you, Ryan. You're the one. I know that mute is an option, but for some reason, and I think we both can relate to this, we don't let trolls bother us. It's when critique comes in from Mm -hmm. people that we know and that we have to answer to (laughs) because something happened last week where someone kind of like checked me and I'm still thinking about it. But what I will say is that you are the one who really encouraged me like when you see a tweet picking up steam to just mute it. That's my favorite thing. I just muted immediately. Because I never, I typically never do because I I became, I found that I was addicted to seeing what people had to say. Mm -hmm. And some of the stuff was hurtful. It doesn't, I mean, it's no real, it's no real chink in my armor, so to speak. But, it, it it's best to just mute. And I've had some tweets pop off. And, you know, people always, I hate to say this, but I just, I chalk it up and say, listen, this yeah. person is probably miserable as hell. Oh, always. Oh, most of the time they are. And you're trying to get me to be miserable with you, and yeah. I refuse. You won't steal my joy today. Mute it. Yeah. And I'm not giving you the satisfaction of blocking you. Well, I'm actually, <laughs> I, I, I hope, I mean, next Friday, if you, I mean, keep giving us updates on your on your journey, because I think it's really inspiring uh, to to everyone who who's feeling that and wanting to maybe possibly go into this kind of sober, you know, yeah. situation. Just figure, just realigning with their body. And really quickly, one of my best friends who's like a brother to me kind of also inspired this. He went sober in December and yeah. he's thriving. I mean, he looks great. He said he's, he's the always, happiest. He he's stuff. the happiest he's been in his adult life. So, Well, you heard it first. Char said that and she always says so. Oh, coming yes. up, we got the show. I mean, we got more show coming up. The cost of police conduct has been uncovered and it carries a billion dollar price tag to communities. Washington Post is back with us and we are, you know, pivoting a little bit. Stick around with us. It's going to be fun. Now, police misconduct across the nation is costing billions of dollars, according to an exclusive report by The Washington Post. Well, joining us is actually the writer himself, Keith Alexander, crime reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you so much for breaking down uh, this, you know, investigative uh, piece that you took part in. Thank you very much for having me on your show, Sharon. I appreciate it. Oh, it's Ryan. I know I sound like a woman. Oh, but right. Like, oh, no, Lord, I'm so sorry. no, no, no. It's okay. It happens. We're a queer station, and, and sexuality and gender is fluid. <laughs> and I and I'm the woman with the deeper voice. <laughs> oh, okay. Now, how are you doing? Okay. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> now let's get let's get into this conversation because the Post collected data. Um, obviously, you collected data on nearly forty thousand payments at twenty five of the nation's largest police and sheriff's departments within the past decades, documenting more than three point two billion spent to settle claims. I guess to start start here, because that's a lot of information, what originally inspired this investigation? You know, Ryan, this was this is something that we've been looking at for a while. Um one of my colleagues who I, who I who I work with, Steve Rich, he's our database editor here at the Washington Post. And his idea was can we identify the nation's most expensive police officer? That's that was the the original 
thought behind this article. You know, maybe we can go through some some records and find out these officers who across the country has been the subject of you know multi million dollar losses. Now we've heard about officers who were the subject of losses, of course, you know, George Floyd or Breonna Taylor and things of that nature, where the person was killed. But what about officers who um, rack up mm-hmm. multiple lawsuits? Because oftentimes those cases are not made public. Those cases are not taken over the headlines in, in the media. And what we found was not as we were surprised. We thought this information would be easy to find, right? We mm-hmm. we spent we thought it was going to take about you know three, four, five months to do. It took an entire year. We had wow. to comb through court records, uh, federal court records, city documents, uh, police records, because there is no every every city and sheriff's department and county either doesn't keep the records, doesn't tie the records or the settlements to the police officer doesn't keep track of that information. It, it was all over the place. So sometimes the names of the police officer is nowhere mm-hmm. but in the body of the lawsuit. So it took us a long time to try to find out, okay, which of these cities has the, an officer been a subject of multiple lawsuits wow. resulting in millions of dollars. So it really took over 12 months to find this information. Yeah, and I find it interesting because a lot of the times when these instances do bubble up and officers, if, if they are let go, they just hop over to the next county and start working as an officer there. Now, I want to know when you all were doing this investigation, were there any patterns or general themes that you noticed or what was the most surprising thing that was uncovered for you? Oh, wow, that's a great question. You know, um, Detroit, really jumped out at me um, uh, because the, this was, an, uh, if you, people read the article, I'm sure you read the article, you know, the lead example, the lead anecdote is an officer who um, got a, a search warrant for a house um, where they had been told by an informant that there was drug dealing going in the house. Well, the officer put the wrong address in the police warrant, in the search warrant, and oh went gosh. into this house. And the officers fairly shot the dog, mm-hmm. which was a, a Labrador. Um, and the, the homeowners you know, looked at the, the warrant and said, you are at the wrong house. This is the house next door. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the dog is lying, dying down, down there. Oh, my gosh. Um, and this officer, you know, the officer would not talk to me. But in um, uh, he was a deposition in the lawsuit, this officer admitted to killing 10 to 12 officers, sorry, 10 to 12 dogs um, during his career. There is this in Detroit. like a kink? Like, what the heck? Why are you killing all these dogs? <laughs> that, I mean, this is just, you know, all, I mean, it's awful. It's, and then what's also interesting is that in one of the, um, you know, when, because a dog was killed, they had to fill out a, a, a city report uh-huh. uh, notarizing what happened. And in the report, they identified the Labrador as a pit bull. Wow. And they said the Labrador was growling and showing teeth. Well, how many Labradors growl and show teeth? Yeah. Um, I've never seen it. And so it, that was very interesting. This officer, this officer um, who, who was part of this, this search, who filled out the search warrant, had been sued more than a dozen times um, wow. during his career. Now, you brought up a very good point. A lot of these officers end up leaving. Well, this officer in Detroit is now with the Oakland Sheriff Department See? about a half hour away 
from See. Detroit. So you hit the nail right on the head. These officers often, they leave one department and go straight to another. Yep. Yeah, we're talking to crime reporter Keith Alexander from the Washington Post about this incredible investigative piece. And, I, you know, I just can't help but think, of course, advocates are, you know, calling for more transparency in these cases like these. But what is the view of people who are defenders of the police? What well, are they saying? Also a great question. And they're saying, you no, know, this is a very key, a key point. Remember, these are settlements based on allegations and the, the police are basically saying look you can't judge these officers based off of allegations there has not been any finding of fault by a judge or a jury and so these are merely allegations and so the the labor unions are, unions are telling us you can't use these lawsuits based on allegations as a way to discipline officers as a way to fire or remove officers because, again, there's been no finding mm-hmm. of accuracy regarding these allegations. Wow. And so, that makes sense. So, you know, so, so now you have this quandary of, well, you have an officer with 12 uh, lawsuits all around involving um, excessive force or wrongful arrest. They're just allegations. There's been no finding of fault. Yeah. What do we do with that? So well, that's the that's the issue here. Well, okay, Keith, we're I mean, we're so interested in this conversation that we're going to keep this going because there's one officer in your piece in Philadelphia that I had 143 Excuse settlements. Me. Excuse and me. And we want to dive in more on that. So that's coming up next. Do not go anywhere because Keith is going to break it down from the Washington Post. All right, we're back and we're speaking with Keith, who did uh, Keith Alexander, a crime reporter at the Washington Post, um, that did a great investigative piece uh, talking about the cost of police misconduct and how it's been uncovered. And it honestly, it carries a billion dollar price tag to these communities. Thank you so much for being back with us. It's my honor. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, so before the break, I mentioned about this officer in Philadelphia who, I mean, one officer alone had 143 settlements. Mm. How does this continue, I mean, to happen when, you know, how are these departments responding to something like that? And and Because it, it clearly seems like these people aren't losing their job after the 100th one. <laughs> well, here's the, the, the thing. Um, in Philadelphia, there was about a half dozen officers who were indicted back in 2014, I believe, um, for, for theft and, and, and um, uh, placing you know, evidence, removing evidence and, 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 and planting evidence and things of that nature. They went to trial. Um, you know, one officer testified against them, saying that these officers were bad cops and we were all part of this ring of, of stealing drugs and stealing money from drug dealers and, and planting evidence. And this is one of the officers um, that you're referring to. Well, they went to trial, um, and they were acquitted. They were found not guilty of all these charges. And they were rehired by the police department. The the union uh, forced the the department to rehire these officers. Now, once this information became public in 2014 about the indictments, guess what happened? Yeah, individuals who were arrested by these officers filed lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Dozens and dozens and dozens of lawsuits began pouring into the city because these officers were involved in these cases. So that's what happened. Wow. Um, the officer you're referring to was part of those, the, those uh, a half dozen who were arrested um, and all those individuals who were uh, locked up or who were acquitted flooded 
the uh, the city courts with lawsuits against the officer. You know, as we're having this conversation, I can't help but to think about the exonerated five in Central Park and also the, the murder of Freddie Gray, who we know was in a police mm-hmm. van and sustained mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. life altering. Well, it killed him. Yeah. He was transported yeah. in a police van yeah. and was, you know, right. um, so. I guess yeah, I, my- I covered that. I, I covered that the whole Freddie Gray, the, the civic uprising, the civil oh, wow. uprising. That was a back yeah, in that, was, that was an exhausting time. Yeah. That was wild because he sustained life, like he sustained those injuries that took his life. So I guess my question is, what is the determining? And I, and I know this may be you know case by case, but what is the breaking point? At what point? Does, you know, the these uh, officers or these precincts or the bosses or whatever just dispose of the of the officer? If you have one hundred and forty three settlements, at what point do they just wash their hands of you? Like, well, is there a number? A <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's a good question. I mean, w- during our investigation, we did not find any officers who were uh, terminated. Mm. Uh, terminating an officer takes a lot. What we did find um, for example, in Chicago, um, we were investigating this officer who, um, uh, Armando Ugarte, who was the subject of, I think, I believe, 16 lawsuits during that time period of 2010 and 2020. Uh, while we were reporting uh, the story, we learned that the, uh, the officer was basically reassigned um, and not really having any contact with the public. Um, this is an officer who, who was part of a, uh, a, a drug unit um, and, again, subject of all 16 lawsuits. Um, they took him off of, the pub, of, of being on the streets. Um, and uh, so what happens really is you know, sometimes these officers will still be employed, but they are moved to a different beat or yeah. move to another They're assignment. at the high schools patrolling. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing, because we have about 30 seconds, and I want to wrap this up with the question that I always I, I comes up for me when we're having these type of discussions is, uh-huh. who's your intended audience? Who is this conversation for when it comes to this type of investigative reporting? Because it clearly, That's if you are a person part. of color or black in this country, you already know about you know the, the police and, and the systems mm-hmm. that we, we now navigate in but who is this for when you're thinking about it and reporting on this you know this story i think is for everyone i think the story is for the public tax i think it's a story for taxpayers you know people who are seeing where their tax funds the monies are going and and not go not being aware that these are their officers in their communities where their money is, is covering the, these, these settlements mm-hmm. um to them to police officers who are saying, look, we are doing the best we can, and we wish that the city wouldn't settle these lawsuits, that the city would instead go to court and fight on our behalf so we can prove and clear our name. Yeah. Um, on behalf of the victims who are saying, here, no, I lost my dog. I, I had a police officer put a gun to my head um, wow. and alleged something that didn't happen. Yeah. So I think this, these type of articles are written for everyone. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the work that you put into this, you and your colleagues. This is uh, Keith Alexander, crime reporter at The Washington Post. Please head over to The Washington Post to to read in depth this incredible investigative piece. Thank you for being here. Thank you both. Thank you both for having me. I really do appreciate it. All right. Coming up, we have uh, top of the hour news and President Biden is announcing about how many troops he's about to mobilize along the Russian border. Find out more coming up next. Well, all right, we are back for another hour, another show. I mean, we're here. The show must go on, right? Charge Sell is here with me. Sure is out. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
Hey, hey, we're still here. Yes, and we're still kicking and doing it. And guess what? Y'all have some good news. Channel Q has your tickets into Lady Gaga's Chromatica Ball. It's happening at the LA's Dodger Stadium, September. 10th. I, I was like combining Saturday and September together. Whatever. <laughs> Saturday, September 10th. It's one of her only 15 stadium shows this summer. It's the last stop on the tour as well. Um, tickets go on sale March 14th at Ticketmaster. But guess what? Why wait when we've got your chance to win your way in? Channel Q is giving away five pairs and one of them is yours. Also, we're giving away a pair, I believe, next week during our show. So you got to be tuned in listening. We're going to give you a special time to call in, and we're going to do have a whole little oh. moment. Um, can, so, I, can I participate in that? Well, um, you work here, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so um, if you want to if you wanna wait for our tickets, you can just keep listening. Or you can head over to WeAreChannelQ.com and enter for your chance to win. You will not want to miss your chance to win this Lady Gaga's iconic Chromatica Ball at LA's Dodger Stadium, Saturday, September 10th, 2022. Now I have to ask, do you know if Lady Gaga got her merch out? Because I know people bought merch during chrom- the Chromatica era. Yeah, it was like Chromatica jock straps and it, and it never arrived for a lot of people really yeah oh i didn't know there was drama i saw it in a that. reddit thread they like girl where is my refund i don't think the sizes were big enough for me really yeah i wouldn't buy gaga i love her but i wouldn't i wouldn't I'm not i don't really buy artist merch if i'm being honest i've bought yonce merch before I, well beyond that's I don't really consider. Separate from yeah, Ivy I, Park, I, I, I consider her separate everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, make sure to head over to We Are Channel Q for your chance to win. Let's talk about what's going on in this hour. What are the odds now of getting COVID if you haven't had it yet? Questions that need answers, we discuss with Dr. James in about 10 minutes. And of course, let's get into our headlines. How about we do that, huh? Oh, yeah. So a few weeks ago, about 125 employees of NASA's Godard Space Flight Center in Maryland opted into a feature that let them add pronouns to their official ID screen names for virtual meetings. Well, the personal pronouns displayed in worker director. Uh, Directories, virtual chats, video calls allow transgender non uh, gender nonconformists and allied employees to inform others of their identities. It saved LGBTQ colleagues the emotional burden of having to out themselves at every meeting. But then members of right. NASA's LGBTQ uh, employee research group received an email announcing that the ability to add pronouns would soon end. Um, yeah, this sucks. This is all coming from well, a Reddit user who says they're a NASA employee. Now, I wonder why they're, you know, taking this back. But I'm also confused about the quote unquote outing of it, because either way, whether you have your pronouns listed or not, I guess if everybody has their pronouns listed, it's normalized and no one has to like yeah, step forward there, and be there's like not a disclosure process. Right. OK. And I think that's okay. what the outing means. Like Got the disclosure you. process. So on Monday, officials from NASA headquarters invited all GSFs, uh, uh, FC employees to a surprising meeting titled um, Use of IT Systems for Gender Pronouns. At the meeting, which had a no recording rule, NASA Uh-oh. officials said the program, uh, the pronoun adding had been part of a temporary pilot program that was now over. The officials released... An, which uh, happens. Yeah, I mean, true. The officials released no formal written explanation for the program's cancellation, even though employees requested it. Behind closed doors, one NASA employee told Slate that NASA officials, quote, compared displaying pronouns to expressing public support for sports teams and felt what? the pronouns made others uncomfortable. 
Wow. I guess it, it is rocket science. Um, <laughs> so. <But I'm> t- <laughs> <laughs> you did that. You did that. You did that. Okay, moving on. President Biden announces over 12,000 U.S. troops have been mobilized along the Russian border to defend NATO countries. Here's that. I'm surprised to support Ukraine. We're going to continue to stand together with our allies in Europe and send unmistakable message that we will defend every inch of NATO territory, every single inch, with a united, galvanized NATO. One movement. That's why I've moved over 12,000 American forces along the borders with Russia, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, Romania, etc. Because they move once. Granted, if we respond, it is World War III, but we have a sacred obligation on NATO territory, a sacred obligation, Article 5. Wow. I mean, 12,000, that's a lot. But um, we'll keep giving you updates on our top of the hours, of course. But right now, let's go in our tea report. Shar, what's happening? <sighs> have you checked Kim Kardashian's Twitter lately? Oh! Or have you been getting to work? You, I, you know, I'm doing both. And, my, and luckily, <laughs> my work is getting into her work. That is true. <laughs> But have you checked recently? Yeah, well, I, should I lie and just for purposes? Well, listen, Kim Kardashian <laughs> made it Instagram official with Pete Davidson earlier today. And I'm just so fascinated by this because you'd be hard pressed to ever find a man on my Instagram. I just don't Same. believe in it. I don't believe unless, in it Unless I do like a cute, you know, those like back in the head type thing. <laughs> not the soft launch. Yeah, a book. very soft launch of a man. I do not <laughs> believe in that. Oh, absolutely not. But anyway, I guess when I was reading more about this, I didn't realize there age gap. Kim is 41, Pete Davidson is 28, and they look very happy together and this is this is a big deal in our generation and the way social media works to make your partner or whoever you're dating to make it Instagram official it's speaks volumes. It says a you lot. might as well throw a ring on the ring finger if yeah, you make it Instagram really official. Intense. In all honesty, I'm still so perplexed by it. I'm like, how is this happening? Because one plus one is not equaling. But two. you know what? To me, that's part of the beauty of life because you just never know who will cap- capture your interest like well, that. Well, then I hope that happens to me because, I don't know, maybe when Drake sees me, <laughs> we'll make eye contact and they'll be like, Listen, wow. Uh, after me. Um, <laughs> by the way, you couldn't have told me. You could not have paid me to believe that Kim Kardashian would ever date someone who isn't black. Yeah, and that's even a, another plot twist in the, the so Matrix. So it's like maybe stepping out of your comfort zone or your type. Maybe we should challenge ourselves to step out of our type and that's yeah. where the love is. Wait, wasn't Chris Humphreys white? No, Chris Humphrey's he, biracial. Yeah, he's biracial. biracial. Okay. Biracial. I think he identifies as black, though. There you go. And he was he only does. seven days. Yeah. 72. And he's he's so lurchy to me, like, <laughs> Just a big old lurch. Well, Just a big old hunk of meat. Thank you for that, T-Report. Uh, let's move on, because right now we have to figure out, honey, if you literally... Um, what am I trying to say? What are the odds now of getting COVID if you haven't had it yet? Honey, that is coming up with Dr. James. Don't go anywhere. Now, as pandemic restrictions ease, some of the estimated 57% of Americans who have not yet contracted the virus may be wondering. Now, if I start to live more like normal, going mass free at restaurants, shopping, and even parties, what are the odds that I will never get COVID-19? I'm speaking to myself because I have not gotten COVID yet. 
Lucky you. I know. It feels like a trophy at this point. Like, oh, and producer Justin hasn't got COVID. Look at us. I don't know how I managed to get it. I was fully vaxxed and boosted. No, it's okay. We don't have to. It's it's fine. No judgment. It's fine. No, I was very upset, you all. Ryan knows I was very <laughs> I upset. You. And, I and still it was around your birthday, too. It was for my yeah. birthday. And I still think that the company I was keeping, somebody was lying because the math wasn't math. It's true. Well, Dr. James Simmons <laughs> asked the MP, the one and only, is here on the show. Thank you so much for breaking it all down with us. Thank you for having me. And Char, you know, maybe someone was lying, but maybe also someone didn't know, right? Sometimes we forget about asymptomatic transmission. So you have a person who might have had no symptoms whatsoever, might have even been in a weird testing window. Yeah. And then they were around you and then unfortunately you got it, maybe got some symptoms. Listen, I got I got it too. So no no Okay, I'm okay, I'm comforted. I, and I have to say, right. I have to say, I sent out that dreaded text and no one ever cleared it up. But what made me comfortable with the Omicron is that when all the daytime TV talk shows came back, like half Whoopi of the cast, Whoopi, yeah. Joy, like, yeah, so I was like, okay, I can yeah. come out with me. And I just had like a little sinus thing. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't have body aches, chills, fever, no, nothing crazy. Well, Dr. James, let's talk about this because, you know, I feel like there are, you know, like I said, 57% of some estimated of Americans who haven't contracted the virus yet. So how are we supposed to move forward? Is the likelihood of us getting COVID high? Some experts have been saying, Ryan, that it's still in that inevitable camp, right? Like mm. you just everyone's going to get it at some point in our lifetime, though, right? Everyone's expanded this. Because remember when Omicron was really hot in most parts of the country, you know, six weeks ago or, or so, and everyone's like, oh, everyone's going to get Omicron. We're going to get it now. That's obviously not necessarily the case. Almost 60% of the country have not had a positive diagnosis. Now, there's a couple of things I think we need to remember with this. Remember that asymptomatic transmission, just like I, I mentioned with Char, asymptomatic folks may have never had any impetus to go test. So ah. there may be a pretty large percentage of people who it just came and went. COVID. It came and went. They never had symptoms. They never even knew that they were positive. They never had a reason to go test because, remember, we were locked down. So it wasn't until the last few months where everyone's been like, got to do this test 48 hours before you come to my party or whatever, right? That's a very new thing. So I think it's really important to to think about that. The other thing, too, is remember we were so vigilant about what are the case numbers in L.A. County now versus, you know, uh, what's happening in Palm Springs versus what's happening in Dallas and New York. Mm -hmm. And right. Those community numbers and what's going on where you live are still going to be really, really super important. So if you are someone who has not gotten COVID and for whatever reason, let's say you're maybe not vaccinated and you don't want to get COVID, you need to still kind of be paying attention to the levels of transmission and how high the rates of diagnoses are in your community. Yeah, I was just on Instagram Live this morning and I was saying that, you know, as as the mask mandates kind of lift, like I've been kind of taking my mask off and I haven't been freaking out as much as I as I, I thought I would. Actually. But I keep it on at the gym, though, which is oh, strange. I would. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep it on at the gym. Um, So what? And what is the science behind, I guess, I, well, you spoke to people being asymptomatic. Listen, I was on USA Today and I saw that we don't need to worry about this, but there's a new variant called Deltacron. And I was like, well, that's not in the Greek alphabet, <laughs> but it's a combo of Omicron and, and, and the Delta variant. Yeah. As this thing continues to multiply and seems not to go away, what does the future look like for us? Is this just going to be a series of boosters for the rest of our lives or... 
I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be boosters the rest of our lives, but I do very much see us handling this in a tri- in a way that we've handled it before, which is everyone gets, well, we recommend that everyone gets <laughs> an annual flu shot, right? Yeah. I think this will develop into that. I think this will develop into, okay, we found a couple new variants. You know, maybe we have some data that's come out that, oh, you know, Moderna isn't 95% anymore. It slips after a year, woo, 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 whatever. And so it's time to get your booster. I think there's going to be a lot more of that going on. Mm -hmm. But here's the part that's going to be kind of interesting. It's going to be a little bit more on the DL, right? Like we, the world, not the world, I should say, at least those of us who are privileged enough to be in this place in the United States are like done talking about COVID. But it's still here. It hasn't actually gone anywhere and it's probably going to pop up again down the road, but I guarantee you it's not going to make the big headlines like it did before because no one wants to talk about it. Right? Like literally me even coming onto the show to talk about health. It's like, please God, can we talk about anything other than COVID? But it's something that we still need to kind of pay attention to. Right. We still need to sort of be like, yeah, this hot girl summer is really coming up. And listen, I am just as excited about it for as anybody else. But also, like, I think you need to be aware that wherever you live, let's say you're going to one of those pool parties at on Fire Island, you need to know what the case numbers are in New York City and Fire Island before yeah. you just go running around Fire Island without a mask. Yes, you better know your audience and who you're talking to. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on in this next segment because one celebrity is speaking out in chronic pain. And how do we help those who suffer in silence? That is coming up more with Dr. James. Ask the MP. Don't go anywhere. Right. Well, um, I love our health conversations, and we just had Dr. James ask the MP on, who is back with us to talk about, of course, what you hear, modern family star Sarah Hyland, um, and she's actually speaking out about her kidney disease and how it brought up suicidal thoughts for her and how she really suffered in silence, and it, we really want to have a larger conversation about chronic pain and how do we help those who are suffering in silence. So thank you for being back with us, Dr. James, at Ask the NP. You know, I got to put the socials out there every five seconds. Uh, Of course. Thank you, darling. I really appreciate it. And I I will also just say, like, she kind of, Sarah Hyland really starts to talk about this on uh, Julie Bowen's podcast. Mm -hmm. um, Quitters Podcast. Podcast. It is A, hysterical. I didn't know. Like, Julie is just so funny on this podcast. But then also, like, if you... Ryan, you mentioned like people suffering in silence and how really devastating chronic illness can be to so many people. Trust me, you learn this listening to Sarah on this podcast. It is really intense, but in a good way. And I think it is she's bringing so much light to so many people who really do suffer in silence and suffer with chronic illness. And I'm so glad she's putting a public face to this for those people. Yeah, I'm reading and, and, you know, sister had, you know, multiple surgeries, over 15 surgeries you know, conducted. And I also, as we're talking about Sarah Hyland, I can't help but to think about Ariel Winters, her co-star, who, you know, had that turbulent relationship with her mother and really what was going on on that set, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I let's talk about, obviously, the, the chronic illness of it, because her, Sarah, she really did reveal on this pot on Julie Bowen's podcast, Quitters podcast about her, her, you know, second kidney transplant. She was born with kidney diplasia. Is that how you say it? Dysplasia. Dysplasia. Uh-huh. Dysplasia. Tell us what that is. What is that? What does that mean? So we can kind of have a full-on understanding of what she was going through. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. It's actually quite a bit more common than a lot of people realize. It happens in about one of every 4,000 to one in every 4,500 births here in the United States. It essentially, the long story short of it, is that you you know we have two kidneys right and they are on our backs kind of right below our ribs mm-hmm. and they're about the size of your fist so everyone's individual fist is about the size of their own kidneys we have two we really only need one people with kidney dysplasia have um poor development of their kidneys so their kidneys never really develop into actual kidney tissue most of their kidney develops into it's sort of like cysts right well wow. kidneys filter the blood and do so have so many vital, crucial, important functions in our whole body. But kidney tissue is the tissue that needs to do that job, not cysts. And so if your kidney is just basically a, a, a large cyst or full of cysts, it doesn't work very well. Some people with kidney dysplasia, it only happens to one of their kidneys, and that's okay because the other kidney can do all of the work for your whole body. We actually only need one kidney, which is why you hear all the time about people being able to donate a kidney. Mm-hmm. But in Sarah's case, she has kidney dysplasia on both, and wow. it has required two different transplants. And even just before we even get to transplants, like people who have kidney dysplasia, it's, it's really, really difficult. A lot of times they're on dialysis, which is, you know, you get hooked to a machine yep. for four hours at a time, three times a week. It acts as, as your kidney. You can't eat certain things. You can't take certain medications. You shouldn't drink. Like, you're beholden to this machine. You can't really travel. Like, it really impacts your life. On top of it, this syndrome and this disease can be really, really painful. Mm-hmm. So not only are your kidneys not working, not only are you not fully developing as a human being, not only is your blood constantly sort of poisoning you because your kidneys aren't working, but then you're also in constant pain. Oh, my gosh. This is, there's, there's a lot that goes into this. And then on top of that, having to juggle your mental health. Now, I know that she, um, on this podcast, she the quote that's circulating is that she doesn't even remember filming certain episodes of Modern Family. Because yeah, of, of the pain. And she was asleep the entire time. So what, I guess, on a scale from one to ten, like, what, what are these people really going through? You mentioned mm. that it's painful and that it can affect, it affects your entire life. But, but what are these people really going through? Uh, they are going through it is, you know, I think, the easiest way to describe it. And and I'm so glad that Sarah has really highlighted the mental health aspect of this and that you brought it up, Shar, because it's it's really the overwhelming, you know, I, I was I actually re- was listening to something online the other day, and it was a, an old quote from Oprah about hope and, mm-hmm. you know, talking about how, like, hope is everything. And if, if you don't have hope, what do you have? And so many people who have chronic illnesses transplants or not, and chronic pain have no hope, right? They've been to a thousand doctors, they've been in and out of hospitals, no one can fix their pain. So then there's no hope that the pain's ever going to go away. And people get depressed and people get suicidal. And the fact that Sarah so openly talks about this, and it's something that impacts millions of people, regardless of their chronic, chronic Mm -hmm. illness, is really, I think, Shar, the thing that people really are going through. Like, we can do so many things to the body to try to fix the body, 
But sometimes the thing that we leave out, and it's probably the most important, is the mental health of people who suffer with chronic illness. Yeah, Dr. James, you know, as we wrap this conversation up, I think, you know, what's really here is we wouldn't even know this uh, unless, you know, because Sarah was living through this in silence and suffering in silence, right? And and so many people are, and I, I can't even help but think about, like, Bob Saget, who just bumped his head, and, and no one knew how, like, how, I mean... Like Natasha, the yeah. movie star, when she was in the skiing accident, she bumped her head and passed mm-hmm. away too. Yeah, and so I just think about these moments mm-hmm. and like how how can we, you know, really support people who are like suffering, especially in like if, you know, if they're suffering in silence, a lot of times we just won't know. But how can we help them once we do find out, especially when it comes to family and friends? Uh, I definitely think be, just be there. You know, Sarah goes on to talk about how the cast in particular, were so incredibly supportive of her and surrounded her, even when she sort of had those moments when she didn't remember it. She also has an incredible family, right? She has a kidney, one from her father and one from her younger brother. Her family are super supportive of her as well. But it's it's very similar to like, let's say when, when we're coming out, right? Or someone is transitioning or something. You never want to approach that person and be like, I understand what you're going through, right? Okay. Unless you have that exact same chronic disease and a transplant or whatever, you don't understand. But what you can do is say, I'm here to be that person for you. Listen, I'm going to bring you over some food and we're, we're going to have some Kool-Aid and we're going to watch something funny <laughs> and I'm going to hold you on the couch while you cry. Like just the same way that you can be there for everyone. I think also getting rid of the stigma and the shame of chronic illness is really important too. And just acknowledging it like, hey, boo, I understand that you have a lot going on in your life right now. And, and I just want to be here to help you. I know I don't fully understand what you're going through, but I understand that you're my friend and I want to help you. Mm-hmm. Start there and it'll be beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Dr. James, for joining us. As usual, we love all your health conversations and everything you do. If you want to keep up with Dr. James, uh, follow him on social at uh, the, oh my God, at Ask Ask the the MP. MP. (laughs) I've been saying it the entire time. Now I mess up. Wow. Um, But thank you for joining us. Appreciate you. Thanks, y'all. All right. Well, coming up next, we're pivoting here because uh, how easy is it for hackers to crack your password? Surprisingly. It's really easy. Coming up next. Now, I need everybody to listen up. If you hear my voice, listen to this because experts are revealing how long it would take to crack your password. Uh-uh. I mean, with everybody getting hacked, I know so many people whose Instagrams are getting hacked, yep. whose Twitters are getting hacked. People are getting hacked. And I experts. The, I got the two-factor thing on my account. Oh, I do too. I don't understand who exists in a world without two-factor. Without factor. the two-factor, yeah. Yeah, but apparently um, this there's this really interesting article going around where, you know, if you have a very easy password, you're basically poop out of luck. Because according to new research, any lock with six characters, regardless of whether numbers and symbols are included, can actually be cracked instantly. Really? Instantly. According to U.S. cyber security company Hive Systems, all of these passwords can be guessed in about 39 minutes. That's literally you know how long I take a shower. I like a water conservation. Hello. Uh, oh, wait, is that long? I thought that was like Ryan, a, a forty minute shower. That is feels a like bit, a good. Well, I mean, as a gay are man, you, are you doing a concert as a gay man? Oh, you're in there fleeting. <laughs> Can we talk about that over there? So, <laughs> Can you bleep that? <laughs> So, honestly, I would like to see this put to the test. Yeah. I would like to hand a hacker my phone okay. and see how long it takes him. Because with my passwords, I have a few. 
and they are case sensitive. They contain a special character yeah. in numbers and things like that. But I wonder, how, you know, we see so many jokes specifically about romantic relationships, mm-hmm. like when he wakes up and sees his phone's been locked for nine days, two hours, because, <laughs> you know, you're trying to get in it. And Apple's like, no, ma'am. Yeah. So, but I think one of the most bone chilling emails to get is a security threat. Yeah. When it it's is. like someone's been trying to log into your, yeah. your YouTube account or something. Like, that is bone chilling yeah. to me because it's like, okay, now I'm ready to fight. Yeah, because you know, I mean, you're at war. Now at this I'm ready point. to fight. So, wait, I know producer Justin's password to like his work stuff yep. because I log in, which your password is so intense. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? What are you telling me at this point? And I have to go and reference it every time I'm logging in. Yeah. Which is wild. So, what goes into your password making? Well, I'm not going to tell you what. what, what no, tell it me everything. Of, but... I need to know your social security number. <laughs> Okay, well, well, it's uh, 777. No, uh, you know, when it came to, you know, making a strong password, it was just one of those things where I took, you know, childhood elements, uh, uh-huh. like some of my, like, security questions, combine some of those, combine a couple numbers that are important to me, mm-hmm. maybe add a couple symbols in there in random places, and then that's how you get a good, strong password. I never remember my security questions. That's You one- don't? No, it's so hard, because I, a lot of times, if let's say if it's for an email, I created that email back when I was probably nine, and I still have that same email, so I don't remember what the security questions are so, when I if I get what locked your, out. What your favorite food was? Yeah, in, when I'm like, it could have been anything. That's why you never pick those security questions. You pick what street was your childhood street? What's your mother's maiden name? I lived your on multiple fa- streets. Your father's uh, See, those middle ones, name. I would never pick because those are easily fa- you can easily you find can. what someone's you know mother's maiden name. What's your name first is. childhood pet's name? That that one's one of the ones. That's that I go an to. easy one. You yeah, know, to to remember. I got. I mean, one of them for one of my accounts one of the security questions is like what was your high school mascot which someone can find out if they want but you got to be careful with those security questions and you know what i also do which i think is very helpful because i alternate passwords Uh i have like a da vinci code in one of my apps where it's not like the actual password written out but I can pick up context clues like oh that's my Facebook password who the hell has time for that I would literally just shut get, my computer closed I get tired of resetting passwords yeah I guess I guess I don't know either way 39 minutes is a quick enough time for somebody to be all up in your business so if you are listening to this change your passwords immediately Lock it down I'm not gonna tell you twice it is time for my favorite part of the show. It is the what? Yes, queen. Period. Where we love to highlight all the wonderful, amazing things that oftentimes queer people are doing. And this one is not changing. All things just keep getting better because Kim Chi, a runner-up for the top prize on season eight of Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race, is making history. Today, uh, she announced that her cosmetics line was available in CVS stores, saying this on Twitter. Crying tears of joy because Kimchi Chic Beauty is now in select CVS stores, and I couldn't possibly imagine we grow this big. Thank you so much to everyone who believes in and loves our brand. It truly means a lot. Didn't ever think you'd see a POC queer brand at CVS, did ya? I mean, the news. I'm gonna look into that. No, I, I don't. Apparently, no. it's gorgeous. Like all, everyone, like a lot of people use. It. I've heard so much about it. When you said kimchi, because you know I'm in and out of Drag Race. I yeah. just started watching seasons when Simone won. I was thinking oh, yeah. about the pickled spicy cabbage <laughs> that you get. You know, when you go to well, the I restaurant, think, yeah, I that's do it. The- 
I do enjoy the fermented. It's fermented and it's good for. It's like probiotics, prebiotics. I love kimchi. Well, shout out to her. This news is historic for a drag queen owned beauty line. And she. I mean, are there any others? I mean, yeah. Trixie, Mattel. um, I thought they were collaborations with No, all the girls are dropping their own lines at this point. I think Bob and Monet have one coming out. Really? Yeah, it's going to. It's really interesting. Um, Nice. uh, Kim, she launched this just under three years ago in collaboration. Uh, with uh, a Knicks founder, Tony Coe. Um, but yeah, I mean, for it to be th- three years, it's like, girl, you're already doing so many incredible things. So that is a big, big what? Yes, queen. We love to see it. That's how you end a wonderful show because that's it for us. It's Friday. It's time for y'all to go live y'all's life. You don't have to hear my voice anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sell, for joining. Yeah, I'll be right. usual. And I'll be right back here Monday. Period. You sure oh, yeah. will because Shira is still going to be in South by Southwest. Oh, yeah. So have a safe, happy, and healthy weekend, everyone. I know. And honey, remember. And set those clocks. Sorry. What, for what? It's daylight what? savings this weekend. Oh, if you have technology, I'll switch for you. <laughs> Um, But yeah, honey, remember to slay and have a wonderful rest of the day. Stick around. Monday, we have a beautiful show for you. Don't go anywhere. Make sure to follow us on LGT Show and all the socials. And if you missed anything, uh, yeah, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com to check out our podcast. But in the meantime, bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 